Hey folks, this is Jesse Cope, back with another episode of the American Soul Podcast. Hope y'all are doing well, wherever y'all are, and whatever part of the day you're in. Sure to appreciate y'all joining me, giving me a little bit of your time. Whether you're driving to work, or sitting at lunch, or the conference period, or whatever else it is, folks. Dishes, laundry, driving the kids around. And for those of y'all that continue to share the podcast, I'm incredibly grateful and humbled by that. Y'all continue to help it grow. And as I've started to, comfortable or not, thank you, Lord, for the ability to do this podcast and hopefully it helps our country just a little bit. We're outside, but we're not going for one of our normal walks today. We're just sitting on the porch. Have both puppy dogs with me. And just an ever so slight mist coming down. Uh, just enough to get some drops off of the tin roof. I don't think it's even loud enough that y'all can hear it, but we're going to sit on the porch and listen to the drip drop anyway. I don't think it's going to turn into much of anything, but every little bit helps, I suppose, at this point. All right, so we're going to get back into Churchill. And be honest, today, (laughs) we're really just going to look at the comparison between, primarily, between British citizens in the 1930s and people that consider themselves patriots, us today, who think of ourselves as patriots, Christians, conservatives. Uh, And I'm afraid it's kind of a a damning comparison, but we'll see what y'all think by the time we get through. So yesterday, Churchill had just given this big speech, and it was a pretty impressive speech, and he was trying to rouse the British people and warn them of the danger of Hitler again and again. You know, he'd been doing this for years now, and and everybody just kind of pushed him aside. And all the people in the house knew that this was a big speech but this is this is some of the response so one of the lords out in the chamber afterward was asked by a lady the opinion of Winston's speech and he replied oh it was the usual Churchillian filibuster He likes to rattle the saber, and he does it jolly well. But you always have to take it with a grain of salt. This particular lady recalled, That was the general attitude of the House of Commons in those days. Even Churchill realized that Chamberlain's determination not to rouse the nation was echoing the mood of countrymen who did not want to be roused. Fleet Street Fleet Street was where all the major 
newspaper outlets were, so kind of like our modern-day media. In step with its readers ignored Churchill's speech and reported Chamberlain's. Chamberlain, the prime minister, of course, had made the argument that we didn't have to get all riled up. Peace was still possible, and we didn't really need to be too worried about this little bitty nation way on the other side of Europe anyway. We just needed to be concerned about ourselves. That same isolationist mentality that got us as America, Pearl Harbor. You know, one thought I had when I was prepping for this was, A, uh, a lot of us, for decades and decades, we don't really want to be roused. And you hear it, you, you can tell that's true, folks, no matter what we say. We kind of, we really do kind of rattle the saber. Churchill was, was deadly earnest here, but, you know, we talk a good game. But but you can tell when you hear people say, well, I just, I just want to go back to normal. Can't we just go back to normal? And everybody can kind of feel this undercurrent. You know, you feel it in education really strong right now. Everybody knows something's wrong. But we all want to try and pretend that nothing's wrong. And, and we really get irritated at people that acknowledge that something's wrong and point it out. And we want to brush them off like like the British citizens brushed off Churchill and say, that, that guy, he's just crazy. We don't really have to pay attention to him. And in this case, in our current administration and with the media for decades, you have a real similar situation to what the British citizens got. Their media was quiet. They wanted to keep them asleep. And their leadership told them the exact opposite of what was actually true. The morning after his speech, this dire warning that Churchill gave, he received unexpected dismay and most unwelcome news from the editor of Beaverbrook's Evening Standard, terminating his contract, in effect, firing him. Thus ended two years of fortnightly columns, depriving him of his most valuable public rostrum. Because, the editor wrote, it has been evident that your views on foreign affairs and the part of this country should play are entirely opposed to those held by us. It was a setback, an annual loss of 1,820 pounds, about $9,000 at the then prevailing rate of exchange, and the timing could scarcely have been worse. He was broke. A couple things, folks, just to mention. These excerpts are all coming from Manchester's second volume in his biography phenomenal series uh, trilogy of churchill if you are interested in those and they've got them in all different forms uh, paperback hardback even audible or cds it's really impressive and gives you a real good understanding especially the second volume of kind of what the british citizens were walking into uh, and really what the world was walking into the other thing here is, uh, I think I've used this quote once before. It comes from a movie. 
I won't bore you with that, but <laughs> there was a character in the movie that said uh, a priority or a, something you stand for, it's, it's not really a priority until it costs you money. Well, this was certainly costing Churchill money. And now he had put himself in that situation financially. He and his family had chosen to live well outside of their means for years. Uh, and I don't know how aware his wife really was or not, but he was broke. And so this, this speech really hurt him. And I wonder how many of us would be willing to make that same sacrifice. Uh, he didn't know it was going to cost him that at the time, but he kept going even afterwards. He had to change his lifestyle a little bit, change how he brought money in. Uh, and the sad thing is it really took him away from focusing on the dangers at hand. And you could say a lot about that, about how important it is to live within your means and and how much we hurt other people when we don't live within our own means. You can talk about a lot of different angles there. But the bottom line was it cost him something. And yet he still kept going. We're going to, I think we've got time to get through one more part. We're going to read through a couple pages later on. After the slaughter of 10 million young men 20, 20 years earlier, a renewal of the struggle seemed incomprehensible. The German people hated war as passionately as their once and future enemies. But in the Reich, public opinion was forged by the state to an unprecedented degree. The Nazi media determined, or not media, but the ruling class, determined what was taught in the schools, the music people heard, the content of radio broadcasts, the books they read, what was published in newspapers, the churches they attended, and the plays and films they saw. The Fuhrer, they were told over and over, was working toward noble goals and making a supreme effort to save the peace. Those who threatened it, who hated Germans because the Aryan race was superior to their own, were unmasked each year on the anniversary of the Nazi party. The Nuremberg, and I can't pronounce it, folks, but this party held in September. You know, I started to say earlier when I was looking at this that that this really is, is getting pretty close to what the left has culturally, uh, with a few exceptions. They've had a real hard time getting a grasp on radio for conservative talk shows over the last few decades, and... They, at first blush, they don't control the churches that we attend. But the left ideology has gotten into everything, including a number of churches. And you see this today in the fact that yet again, another major mainline denomination, the Methodist church is in the process of splitting because of the LGBTQ values pushed into the church, which go directly against the teachings of God and Jesus Christ in the Bible. And you can make a lot of arguments there, folks, and we'll come back and visit that topic. But the bottom line is, today in America, 
the left, really, their ideology does have an almost stranglehold on schools. Um, maybe not music. You know, there's a lot of Christian music out there. Uh, but the the culture and the education of our children, books, newspapers for sure, movies, leftist ideology is just rampant through all of it. And And so... You know, we want to look back and say, oh, well, it's completely different. But I'm not sure that it really is. The average Briton was better informed, to be sure. The Times was not the only paper in which rogue editors disgraced their craft by the distortion of outright suppression of the facts. Nevertheless, the truth was there for those who cared to know. A majority chose to ignore it. Confronted with the prospect of another war, they sought refuge in escapism. Londoners whose dreams were haunted by Nazi stormtroopers could leave their nightmares in the check room at St. James's Theater while they watched Terence Radigan's After the Dance, or at the Duchess, where Emily Williams' The Corn is Green was playing to packed houses, or at His Majesty's Theater, where the high point of the evening would be heard in a quartet singing the stately homes of England. In Neil, Coward opera, in Neil Coward's operette, which ran through 133 performances. I'm going to keep reading for another page here or so, folks, but I want to make this comment while I'm reading this. Think about this. Uh, if it does not match up with us today, and that we've, we've ignored the truth for so long. And it's been there for those of us that really wanted to see it. By being entertained, we want to entertain ourselves. Athletics, sports, Netflix, Amazon, movies, shows, books, whatever we can get our hands on. We want to ignore the truth. And, and you think about your own life when things get hard. Your marriage, kids, the country. Often today, what do we do? We just, oh, I just, I can't watch the news anymore. Let me get on Facebook. Let me get on Instagram, Snapchat, TikTok. Just kind of go numb. Let me turn on that latest episode on Amazon. Let me go. Let me go watch my kid play for a few hours. You know, that's really important. And, and we convince ourselves that we're either doing something that we have to for the betterment of our children, right? Often with athletics, running up and down the road constantly. Or we just zone out and we get lost in our phone or on TV or in a book so that we don't have to deal with the problems in our marriage or think about what's really going on in our country. So are we really are we really that different than the British population? I can't help but be reminded of the line from the movie Gladiator. And I know this is kind of foolish in a way, but when he's been captured and he's he's in this first fight and, and the whole stadium's silent and he's yelling up into the stands, Are you not entertained? Are you not entertained? And I'm afraid that someday they're going to look at us and ask that. 
If you wanted to forget Japanese aggression in China and mutual aggression in Spain, a smorgasbord of entertainment lay before you. Lynn Hutton scoring 364 runs against Australia in the Oval Test Match, or in the book department of Harrods, P.G. Woodhouse's The Code of the, of the Woosters, Evelyn Waugh's Scoop, and Graham Greene's Brighton Rock. From across the Atlantic came new works by Faulkner, Hemingway, Steinbeck, and Nathaniel West. The United States also presented to enthusiastic theater audiences Life with Father and Rogers and Hearts, The Boys from Syracuse, and on what was then called the Silver Screen, Gone with the Wind, The Wizard of Oz, and Walt Disney's Snow White and the Seven Dwarves. In 1938, the year where Austria fell in Munich, the British produced, no, I'm not sure that was right, Anaclis, yeah, in Munich, the British produced a tune and dance step that swept all Europe and the United States. Anytime you're Lambeth Way, any evening, any day, you'll find us all doing the Lambeth Walk, hey. But Britain's greatest accomplishments and the lively arts would follow World War II. In 1930s, her entertainers remained loyal to the traditional rollicking music hall songs. Yet huge halls were barely half full now. Relics, really. Houses haunted by memories of Harry Lauder, Lily Langtree, and George Champagne, Charlie is my name, Laburn. The brash Americans rushed into the vacuum. Snow White alone provided three hit songs. Other imported popular songs of 1938-39 to 39 were Over the Rainbow, Three Initiates, Three Little Fishes, A Tisket, A Tasket, Flatfoot, Floggy, and Floy, Floy, and Are You Having Any Fun? Among those not having any fun were over two-thirds of the Czechoslovakia population. The country's prominence in the news from May of 1938 to March of 1939 may explain the immense popularity of an old Czech drinking song, Roll Out the Barrel. In the popular view, World War II had not yet begun. They, but they would have been, that would have been news to the Chinese, the Ethiopians, and the Spaniards. The greatest sufferers, of course, were the Jews. Nicholson, meeting an Austrian who had just got away from Vienna, set down the man's account. They rounded up people, walking, in the Prater on Sunday last, and separated the Jews from the rest. They made the Jewish gentlemen take off all their clothes and walk on all fours on the grass. They made the old Jewish ladies get up into the trees by ladders and sit there, and then they told them to chirp like birds. The Russians never committed atrocities like that. You may take a man's life, but to destroy all his dignity is bestial. This man told me that with his own eyes he had seen Princess Stromberg washing out the urinals at the Vienna railway station. The suicides had been appalling. A great cloud of misery hangs over the town. You know, there's two things here and then I'm going to leave you off for today, folks. One, in the popular view, World War II had not yet begun. 
we don't want to pay a lot of attention to what's going on today. We haven't for years, but we have a fight coming one way or the other. And the last thing is it talked about the suicides increasing under Nazi rule. And I couldn't help but think about the fact that some of the statistics I've heard recently are talking about how the suicide rate is increasing year after year for teenagers, for our children. And that it's now the second highest cause of death of teenagers in the country. It's incomprehensible to me that we can't make the connection between the rejection of God and our founding faith and principles based on the teachings of Christ. And that we can't acknowledge that normal is what's gotten us to this point in our country and our marriages and our schools and communities. And that that's not what's causing the problems that our children are experiencing today with suicide and depression and anxiety. We still have some time, folks. And as God tells us, all things are possible with him. But the door sure does seem to be closing rather quickly. Sure to appreciate y'all sitting on the porch. The rain is coming down a little harder now. The dogs have finally scratched all their scratches and gotten quiet. I hope y'all have a wonderful rest of whatever's left of your day. I sure do appreciate y'all joining me here, giving me a little bit of your time. And uh, hopefully y'all are getting something out of each day. And even if it's a little depressing at times, hopefully you're at least getting some tools for your tool bags. That uh, So you really can kind of see what's going on in the world. And maybe we can help our country just a little bit. God bless y'all. God bless your families. God bless America. We'll talk to y'all again real soon. Looking forward to it, folks.